Good morning. Welcome to St. James. Glad that you guys are here, and welcome to the people watching on the live stream, too. I'm going to put my head down and do the announcements, and when I look up, the sanctuary is going to be full. That's the way it usually works. Uh, let me go through. I'm just going to give you kind of a little review of what, what's going on today and this week. And then uh, we have a couple of uh, announcements from um, different ministries going on. And then uh, when those announcements are over, we're going to jump into the opening hymn, okay? So first of all, everything's on schedule for today. Evening prayer this evening at 5.30 if you want to come. New members classes at 6 o'clock. Uh, please feel free to come to that. Um, uh, got a lot of good things going on. We've, we started talking about the Gospels and uh, Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom and what that means. And so uh, we're going to get in a few weeks. Actually, the, so what I normally do is when we talk about kind of the Lutheran stuff, uh, when we talk about communion and baptism, I will totally give you a heads up when we're getting to that section in here so that whoever wants to come can come and hang out and talk. Uh, we're going to be looking at one of the chapters, I forget which chapter it is, in The Great Divorce this Wednesday evening. That's on Zoom. Men's Bible study, 6.30 Tuesday mornings. We're going through some of the Proverbs. Uh, please, men, if you want to be involved in that, you're more than welcome to get a hold of me. Ladies Bible study at 9 o'clock. It says here uh, during uh, June, it's a virtual study. Maybe Stacy's going to come and talk in a second. Maybe she can say a little bit more about that if she wants to. And then youth group Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 8. Okay. That's all that I have by way of announcement. Uh, you get guest registers at the end of your rows. Could you take those and fill those out and pass those down so the people uh, next to you can also uh, fill those out? You can also do it electronically uh, via the QR code that's there as well, if you'd like. All right. Uh, yes, Glen Ed Food Pantry and then uh, Youth Group. is Tina Barnard, and uh, I have the privilege of working with Shanna to uh, make sure that everyone at St. James knows about the Glen Ed Pantry and our needs. And um, it's fortunately, it's not too hard a job because Bev Tiedman has um, done this for St. James since 2006, and I want to make sure to thank her. Uh, with me today is Jane Acey. She's Director of Development at the Glenhead Pantry, and she wants to extend an invitation to you and tell you a bit about the pantry. Hi, good morning. I'll keep this brief uh, so we can go on with our worship service this morning. But just a, a little bit about the pantry. Your pantry here in Edwardsville serves all of District 7. Not only do we provide food, we do personal hygiene products, and we are getting ready to kick off our back-to-school supply. We work with the school district to help those families who do not have the funds to purchase school supplies for their children. Last year, we did over 250 students. I expect that we'll be doing close to 300 this year based upon our economic standing to where we are right now. We cannot do this without your help. I am here to ask for your help. It cost us about $10,000 to do this. We pack the bags for their class. So if you've got a third grader in Cassins, 
then that's what they're going to get. And they get to pick their own school bag. We do, we do, we make it very personal for them. We can't do it without your help. I'm here to thank you and to ask for your help. Again, thank you to all of you who have volunteered. I see some regular volunteers here. I see some other volunteers here. That's how we operate. We cannot serve our community without you in so many ways. So thank you for your volunteering, your gifts, both financial and hard gifts. You know, your items that you bring here to church. Tina has a couple of uh, baskets in the back. There's also some additional information in the back. And I'll be in the back after service if you have any specific questions for you. Again, thank you for welcoming me into your church home this morning. And I look forward to seeing you all at the pantry. Hello, church family. I would like to thank you for all of your donations for our yard sale. It was a huge success. If you still have any soft good items at home, clothes, blankets, sheets, stuff like this that you were wanting to donate but didn't get around to it, we're still collecting through the end of this, through the end of July. And we have another fundraiser we're going to do where we're going to drop all of that off and we'll be paid a per pound rate for everything that we donate. So if you have more stuff, bring it on in and we'll collect that. But now I have an announcement for youth group. If you just, if you're getting ready to go into sixth grade, all the way up through eighth grade, that's our junior high crowd. Junior high, I'm talking to you. Senior high, if you're going to be a freshman this year, all the way up to our graduated seniors, this Tuesday night, we are having an epic water balloon battle out here in the lawn. I have 700 water balloons at least. So I need you to be here Tuesday night to help me dispense those in a lovingly battle way. And dress to get wet and bring a towel and we'll cook some hot dogs and we're going to have a great time. 6.30. Hope to see you there. Omniscient, all-knowing, he can. 
Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray and ask God to forgive our sins. Holy, holy, holy you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness frightens us. It fills us with awe. It fills us with wonder. What else can we do but fall down before You and confess our woe? We are lost. We are a people of unclean lips and unclean thoughts. The light of Your holiness only reveals the darkness of our sin. Holy, 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 You are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of Your glory. Your holiness is white hot, converting our sin. Send your seraphim to us with burning coals from your altar, that our guilt be taken away and our sin forgiven. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness is frightening, all-consuming. Sanctify us to your service. Make us holy that we might be your people that we might reflect Your glory and serve You forever. In the name of Jesus we pray, whoever stands before the altar of heaven, our Mediator, who presents before Your holy majesty our prayer and supplication, now and evermore. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from 1 John. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' name. Amen. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's read Psalm 16 together. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. 
The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of, your, of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Testament reading is from 1 Kings 19. This is uh, right after um, Elijah uh, does battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of, uh, you know, Baal loses that battle, Yahweh wins, and then um, uh, Jezebel's angry at Elijah, and she swears she's going to kill him, and so he takes off running, and he feels like he's all alone, and uh, that's the text, that's right where we're at this morning. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He, and Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, again, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hatzael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of ebel you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hatzael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, then, but go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we're kind of sporadically going uh, through Galatians, not reading every uh, verse in there, but uh, kind of hopping around a little bit. Uh, Galatians 5, we're going to read, the, uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit uh, text, comparing the weeds of the flesh uh, with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so the key to doing right in Paul's economy is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's, it's a matter of like being, living in life, walking with the Holy Spirit. I, I can't... Uh, it's more on that, I guess, in a different sermon. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 9. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. seated. Well, let's take a look at the gospel reading for this morning, this uh, last bit of Luke chapter 9 here, and uh, you can turn look at that in your bulletin. And, but before I start, let me just say this, that uh, this is from the lectionary today. Uh, next week, I'm going to start uh, preaching a sermon series, I don't know how long or short it will be, on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And one of the things I've realized is that when uh, people come to me and they talk about uh, you know, their struggles and stuff, o- almost always it has to do, not always, but almost always it has to do with relationship issues. Uh, you know, relationships with their spouse or with their kids or with their parents or with their uh, you, you know, coworkers and things like that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is a really, really excellent text about how God wants us to relate to each other. And it, a lot of it's about marriage and about singleness and about kids and things like that. But there's a lot of stuff in there about just relationships in general. And so what I want to do is, and, and I would really, really strongly encourage you guys to, uh, to, um, to be here on uh, next Sunday as we start, is to talk about how it is that God wants us to relate to each other. And there are, there are biblical principles, there are gospel-centered principles that should control the way that you and I think about our relationships with each other. And... Um, uh, I'm going to try to uh, bring those out next week, and or start to bring those out in 1 Corinthians 7. If you get a chance this week, read 1 Corinthians. You can read it all in one sitting, uh, probably if you're a quick reader, in 45 minutes to an hour. If you don't, if you don't have a chance to do that, uh, read 1 Corinthians 7 at least uh, to kind of get us into that, um, uh, get us into uh, uh, starting next week. But anyway, back to Luke 9, the gospel reading. And let's talk about what Jesus is, what's going on here. And you can see this is uh, broken up into two separate stories. One's the story of Jesus, you know, going through. Jesus is uh, g- going from Galilee, where he's at, down to Jerusalem for um, the, uh, uh, one of the festivals. 
and uh, he's going through Samaria. So j- just some of you already know this, but uh, geographically, Galilee is Judean. Uh, it's, uh, it's got some uh, uh, Gentile population, but it's primarily Jewish. And then Judea is primarily Jewish as well. And in between those regions is Samaria, which w- would not, they would not identify as Jewish. They were, uh, of course, a lot of you know this, they were uh, kissing cousins of the Jews. Very, very similar, but very, very different. And the differences are, are of course, highlighted because they are so similar. The differences are, are more stark. And the Jews in, in Galilee, if they're going to go down to Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem for, the great, for any of the great festivals, they can take a long way around or they can go through Samaria. And uh, the first story is about that. And then the second story is about these people who come and talk to Jesus and say, hey, I'm on your side, uh, but I have a couple reservations here. Uh, for one reason or another, and Jesus says, uh, you can't have any reservations if you're really on my side. So two separate stories, but they're actually kind of connected, and I kind of want to highlight how they relate to each other this morning. And the first, the first story, of course, tells us how to treat outsiders. The Samaritans are not insiders. They are not Jews. They don't believe in uh, uh, Jesus' Messiah like Jesus' Jewish friends and followers do. So the first section we can look at, how does God, how, we, can look, we can learn from Jesus how to treat outsiders. And then the second section is going to be how, to, how should we think about ourselves? How should we treat ourselves as people who are kingdom of God people? And there's a difference. I mean, you can see the, the way that Jesus treats both groups differently. And so what does that mean for how we treat outsiders now and how we think about ourselves and people inside the Christian church now? So first of all, let's talk about verses 51 through 56 and how Jesus treats outsiders like I said, the Samaritans didn't care for Jews coming through their territory. This is well known. If you've read the Gospels at all, you know that there's lots of stories about Jew, Jewish and Samaritan tension uh, as they kind of pass through each other's territory. Uh, the, Samar- you know, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, of course. Uh, the Samaritans hated the Jews. Josephus tells this story in, uh, in, in his book, The Antiquities, about this, and, th- and this happens maybe 15 years after Jesus uh, Jesus uh, died and rose from the dead at 48 to 52 AD. A group of Jewish pilgrims was traveling down through Samaria to get to one of the festivals. And they got to this town, and the people in the town, angry that Jews were kind of using you know, their town as, as a way station to get to their festival, came out and attacked them and killed a bunch of them. Well, the, the, Jew, the, the, the Jews on pilgrimage didn't do anything. And so what they, went, what they did is they went to Cumanus, down in Jerusalem, the, the, the Roman governor, uh, you know, think the Pontius Pilate character 15 years later. And they said, hey, w- this is what happened. We need justice. And Kumana said, okay, just relax. I will go up there and I will make them pay person for person that they killed. And so Kumanus goes up there and the Jews, they get done with the festival and they go back up uh, through Samaria. What they find out though is that Kumanus hasn't done anything because the Samaritans paid him a bunch of money not to do anything. And the Jews get angry and decide, well, so no justice here. We're going to have to take justice into our own hands and, and start to attack that Samaritan town. And Josephus says, then Cumanus comes back up out of Judea, and the, and the Romans and the, the Samaritans together attack and slaughter many of the Jews. And the Jews, of course, are furious with this, and there's a lot of arguing. And it eventually goes all the way to the Supreme Court. It eventually goes to the desk of Emperor Claudius Caesar himself. And he decides, after reviewing the evidence, that the Jews were right and the Samaritans and, uh, and his governor, Cumanus, was wrong and tries to adjust things accordingly. But this is a little slice of, uh, uh, a little uh, peek into the way the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. So this is, 
definitely opposed to Jesus and his friends coming through, which is why um, his disciples ask in verse 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They are against you. They have rejected you, Jesus, and we believe in you. And that means, since we know that whoever rejects you is damned, and so let's call fire down, uh, uh, let's call fire down on them and destroy them here and now. And of course, Jesus rebukes them in verse 55 and 56. He turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So, uh, I mean, just basically one of the things we can say is that uh, God has not called us uh, to blow up uh, unbelievers. This is basic principle 101. God has not called the Christian church to blow up unbelievers. God does not call us to stand in judgment on unbelievers. He does not call us to judge those who are not a part of the Christian church. What they do really is, and, I, and I'm going to say this, and then maybe this might be a, a tad offensive, and then we'll, we'll, I'll circle back to it later, and we'll look at some text, which will explain what I mean. It's not any of our business. It's not any of our business. Now, some people are going to say, okay, so that doesn't seem right. It seems like that's our job as the church, as the Christian church, to, to, to you know, to, to call down medical, metaphorical fire and brimstone on, on the people of our culture. Let me give you four Sort, sort of, um, in my mind as I was studying this, just four uh, objections to what I just said, and uh, we'll kind of talk, talk our way through them. Uh, first, first objection, but doesn't Jesus want to punish those who reject him? Isn't that a part of rejecting Jesus? Look, Jesus wants to punish them, right? And the answer is uh, no, Jesus doesn't want to punish those who reject him. Luke 4.19, Jesus is preaching his initial sort of, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it's his coming out sermon where he basically, this is a sermon in a synagogue, Capernaum, where he says, Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Messiah, and today that's fulfilled in your hearing. One of the things he does in there is he talks about what Isaiah says, that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Now that Jesus is here, it's not a time for judgment. It's a time for God's favor. It's a time for grace and mercy and peace. Jesus also says, even maybe more explicitly, in John chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, okay, he's talking about the Samaritans here, people who've rejected Jesus. And this is good for the rest of us to hear as well who are Christians. If anybody hears the words of Jesus and does not believe, Jesus says, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is not in the business of judging unbelievers. Jesus is in the business of saving unbelievers. Calling down fire from heaven on unbelievers is not saving them calling down medical, metaphorical fire on social media, on unbelievers. Also, not saving them. God did not call us to judge those who are on the outside. God called us to love them because he wants to save them. Okay, so what about the, so you're, Aaron, are you saying that there's no judgment then? No, I'm not saying that at all. Jesus clearly teaches that there's judgment. In fact, the next verse in John chapter 12, Jesus says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words, remember he just said that same group of people, I'm not gonna judge them because I came to save them. But he says, if anybody rejects me and does not receive my words, verse 48, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. In other words, there is coming a day in the future where there will be judgment. But today is not that day. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is a day for mercy and grace and the love of God to be explained and expounded and lived out both in word and in deed amongst those who are the outsiders. It is not a day of judgment. Objection three, but don't we need to do something to get them to stop rejecting Jesus? Answer, 
We can't do anything to get them to stop rejecting Jesus except for trust the Holy Spirit to do his job. Jesus, in fact, is playing the long game. Do you know that there's a reason why Jesus does not want to call down fire and brimstone on these people in Samaria? And if you would continue reading in Luke and read into his sequel, you would see that what that reason is. At the beginning of Luke, Jesus calls his disciples to go back to Samaria. The gospel will spread in Judea and Samaria and all the parts of the world. In fact, in, in, in Acts, did I say Luke? I'm at Acts. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, the deacon, goes to Samaria and starts to preach the gospel and has massive results. Lots of people come to faith in Jesus. Maybe some of these people who the disciples wanted to blow up don't get blown up because Jesus is playing the long game. He's patient. Remember, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about is gentleness, kindness, and patience. God is going to save people. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to rescue those who reject him, even those who reject him most stringently. It is not our job to judge. It's our job to be patient and kind and long-suffering and gentle and faithful and full of hope and joy and peace and love because that's what the Holy Spirit is going to use unbelievers to draw them to himself. Last objection. But what about free speech? Don't I have a right to say? I'm an American. I have a right to say what I want to say. If you mean free speech to share the gospel, then of course yes. If you mean free speech to blow people up, I guess in a a certain sort of American sense, you can say whatever you want. But in a gospel-centered sense, we don't have free speech. Does everybody understand this? Well, we do have free speech, but we don't have the freedom to use our speech to attack others. I'm going to read from Galatians uh, 5 again. This is, you can look back on the bulletin with me at the epistle reading. This is what uh, Paul says in verse 13. It kind of relates to this. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only, so be careful, check yourself, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You cannot give ground to the desires of the flesh, to anger, to all those things he just, that, you know, the vice list I just read, anger, enmity, fits of anger, you can't give ground to that and then use freedom as an excuse for doing that because God has not called us to that sort of freedom, but God has called us to love and responsibility. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Only do not use your freedom, going back to verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. God has given us freedom, but he calls us to use that freedom to love and serve each other. There's a certain sense in which exercising your free speech has actually become a pattern of slavery in our culture. If somebody slights me, I feel like I have to say something back. I just can't let it sit there. And then I call that freedom of speech. But it's actually slavery. It's slavery to my own desire to get the last word. I can't stop myself from having to have a solid answer to come back at people. God has not called us to that slavery. He's called us to freedom. And the freedom specifically that he's called to is to love and serve each other and to love and serve the outsiders as well. And in fact, you guys know this. This is the whole pattern of Jesus. Jesus stands uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane about to be arrested, and he assures his disciples and the battalion that's about to arrest him, if I wanted to, I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal. I could fight this battle on those grounds if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give up all of that. I'm not going to call down, the, the, I'm not going to call down my armies to blow anybody here up because I want to die so that I can save you guys. 
This is the pattern of Jesus. And he calls us to live in this pattern as well. To use our freedom to give up our rights to call down fire and brimstone on the outsiders in order to love and serve them patiently playing the long game because the Holy Spirit is going to win those, uh, some of those people at least. This is what the cross is all about after all, right? Is, uh, um, God allows himself to be beaten. God allows himself to be abused. God allows himself to be rejected. This isn't not the first or the last time that, 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 that the people that he created are going to reject Jesus. And there must have been some sense, maybe, that they're going to get theirs in the end. But in the freedom that he has as the Son of God to say, I'm not here for that. I'm here to save them, not to judge them. After all, too, and I, I just mentioned something about this in uh, adult Bible study last week, Christians of all people don't need to retaliate. Of all the people in the world, Christians don't need to retaliate. This is kind of um, a common thing that the outsiders, the unbelievers say about Christianity is that if you believe in the exclusive religion of Christianity, you're going to be more prone to be violent and to be aggressive and to call down fire and brimstone on people. It's better if you don't, it's better if you don't have any religious beliefs. People without religious beliefs are less vindictive and are calmer. But actually what we know from history, it's, it's actually the Christian church that's more calmer in the face of, of danger. And, and the reason why is this is because if I, if I don't believe that there's a God, if I'm a secular person and I don't believe that there's a God who's going to put things to right, and you harm me, or you harm my family, or you harm my friends, how else is that going to get put to right unless I myself do it? Unless I become vengeful and execute justice on my own. But if I know that there's a God who created everything, who someday will put all things to right, then I don't need to put things to right because he's going to do it. Actually, believing in the exclusive religion of Christianity should lead Christians to be more loving and patient and kind because they trust that God's in charge of uh, who gets saved and, uh, and judgment and all those things. We can trust God for those things. So, how to treat outsiders? We treat them with love and with patience and with respect. And of course, a lot of this, I was thinking a lot about this this week because some of the, actually a handful of you were there as well. Uh, went down to uh, pray at the Glen Carbon Library this week uh, because there was a drag queen who was going to read to our kids. And, and I thought that the people who planned, and I was there and I prayed with, the, with a couple of other um, uh, LCMS pastors who were there. And I thought that the people who organized it just had the, 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 the right idea, which is we're going to get in there early and we're not going to protest. We're not going to call down fire and brimstone. We're going to pray. And if anybody comes in who's there for the drag queen story time or if the drag queen comes in, we're going to treat them with love and respect and patience as a fellow human being made in God's image. But we are going to pray that God would defend and protect our community. And I, th I, th I thought that was a good way to do it. And I, I, mean, I didn't plan it, so I'm not bragging on myself. Uh, other people planned it. And so thinking about this in terms of the disciples and what they want to do to the Samaritans, one of the temptations that, people, uh, uh, that some people have in our society is to say, a drag queen's coming to the Glen Carbon Library? Well, let's call down fire and brimstone on them. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I'm rebuking you. It's not what you're to do. It's not how you treat outsiders. Now, how are we to treat ourselves? For those of you who are Christians, how are the insiders supposed to be treated? Well, you get three examples in verses 57 through 62. First of all, we must find our home in Jesus, not in our material goods. For those of us who are on the inside, we are not allowed to find our comfort, our security, our, our, our location in things other than Jesus. A guy comes to Jesus in verse 57 says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, 
Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son, have, son, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Just in case we think that Jesus' job is to get us to uh, better material security or better financial security or a better home or whatever, Jesus is saying, actually, no, I, I'm, I am the home. I'm the security. I don't need a home because I will be your home. And if you're going to follow me, you can't trust in your material goods. Well, now, so you see a shift in the tone here. With, with the outsiders, Jesus is mercy and grace and peace and no judgment. And he certainly is with us as well. But now that we're on the inside, and I'll tell you how this works in just a minute. Now that we're on the inside, Jesus is much more determined to say, this is the way things are going to be. This is consistent with Jesus' character throughout the Gospels. It's the Pharisees, those who consider Jesus to be one of them, a fellow rabbi, that Jesus is harshest on, harshest on, followed, maybe this is 1A, maybe this is followed closely in second place, by his own disciples, who he constantly chides for being foolish, for being slow of faith, for being, uh, for, for being dull-witted. But with the outsiders, with the woman at the well in Samaria, with the Syrophoenician woman, with, the, with the, uh, the Roman centurion who comes to him, Jesus is all welcome. He's all welcome with all of these people. But once you're in, if I said that Jesus is harsher, that would be the wrong way to say it, and I'll tell you why in a second. Because Jesus, there's a different pattern here. And again, I should just move on, and we'll get to that in just a second. But Jesus, there's a higher standard for those who are on the inside than there is for those who are on the outside. Okay, second example, verse uh, 59. To another Jesus said, follow me. But the guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the, leave the dead, he probably means spiritually dead, to bury their own physically dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You guys have heard sermons on this before. Burying your parents uh, was maybe one of the highest, most important duties that you could do as a citizen of Judea, as a member of that community. And Jesus is saying here that all of your most important vocations take second place to the most important vocation, which is to proclaim the gospel, which is to preach the gospel. Everything else, all of your jobs, all of your duties, everything that is important to you that you have to do, all of that needs to be abandoned to follow Jesus. All right. Third thing he says is this. Another guy says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Let me first be faithful to my family ties, my, my, uh, my community ties, my, my, my social ties, I mean. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is, uh, you know, to, to put your hand to the plow uh, for those of you who are, who are uh, uh, farmers or ex-farmers. You know, uh, to, to, to plow a line, you have to, uh, at least before uh, uh, GPS and $600,000 combines, to plow a straight line. Uh, the, uh, I, I've been told this by people. I'm not a farmer. Anybody's, anybody was interested in that. You have to keep your eye on the point, the distance, that, the, the, the point at which you're headed, and keep your eye straight on that spot. And all Jesus is saying is, if you're plowing a field and you're kind of looking around, your field's not going to be plowed correctly. It's not going to be a straight line. And so he's saying to this guy, look, Jesus says this frequently, your family ties, that's the old. Jesus is not against family, but he does say some crazy things. Like if anybody doesn't hate their father and mother and follow me, those sorts of things. Jesus is saying, your old ties, your old communal ties, your old family, 
must be second place. You know, if to, the, the whole scope of the Gospels together, Jesus is not saying abandon your family, but he is saying that that's your secondary family now. My wife and my kids are my secondary family now. My primary family is the family that's created by the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And if I subvert these things, which is a classical 20th century, 21st century conservative American Christian thing to do is to say God's job is to get us to better family values, then the, 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 the road that we're plowing is going to be crooked. Actually, the highest value is the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And he calls us to abandon all these things that are super important to us. Material goods, our sense of vocation and duty, our families, to follow him alone. And, and, and he'll take care of all that. At the end of the day, by, by, by loving Jesus, by being in the kingdom of God, we learn to love our families and to love our communities and to do our vocations and to take care of our property in a better way. But if we make those things first place, we will not be plowing a straight line. So, to sum up, whereas Jesus is gentle and accommodating with the outsiders, he is rigorously demanding of the insiders. Why is this? Before we get to that, let me give you one more example. And this is maybe my most uh, favorite example. And you can turn over there with me if you want. You don't have to. I'm going to read it. In 1 Corinthians 5, this has to do with sexual sin. And the people in the church at Corinth, so Corinth is a town that's just filled with sexual sin. And Paul has written to them to, to some extent in the past and said, you need to not be involved with people who are sexually sinful. And the, the, the people in the church of Corinth uh, say, okay, well, we can do that. Let's, let's stop associating with people who are sexually sinful. Paul, part of what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9, is to say, well, hold on, you've misunderstood. Here's what he says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Here's what he's saying. He's like, the, the unbelievers, the outsiders who are sexually immoral, I was not telling you not to associate with them because then you couldn't associate with anybody because every single human being is sexually immoral. Every single human being is greedy. Every single human being is by nature an idolater, is by nature a complainer, a swindler, prone to fits of anger. If you decide I'm not going to associate with any sinful people, you're going to be super lonely. And in fact, you're going to have to figure out some way to dissociate from your own self, who also is sexually immoral and greedy and a swindler. So Paul says, I'm not saying that to you, but here's what I'm saying in verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not, not even to eat with such one. For a Christian who embraces sins... Paul says you, 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 have to, you have to dissociate from them. You have to separate them from your midst. For a Christian to say, I'm a Christian, but sexual immorality, I'm living, in, in the, the larger context in 1 Corinthians 5 is a guy in the church who has married his stepmom. His dad was married, and the, the dad's out of the picture. I don't know if they're divorced or dead, but he's married his stepmom. And people in the church are saying, well, that's cool. He's free. He's got the Holy Spirit, Right? And Paul is saying, actually, no, that kind of stuff happens out in the world, and you're patient, and you're kind, and you're gentle with it. You're loving with those. Why? Because that's who we are by nature. They don't have any choice. They are by nature angry and sexually immoral and greedy. You, being angry with them doesn't fix anything. Be loving and gentle. But inside the church, it's a different story. More on that. Well, let, me, let me read this. Uh, let me finish reading this, uh, 1 Corinthians 5. 
For what have I to do, Paul says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So he's basically saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in Luke 9. What right do we have to judge the outsiders, the unbelievers? We don't have any right. And in fact, we can say to them, hey, you shouldn't be so greedy. And if by very, very small chance, they listen to us and say, okay, I'm going to try to be less greedy. Does that actually make them right in God's eyes? No. The problem is not that they're greedy. The problem is not that they're sexually immoral. The problem is not that they're swindlers. The problem is, is that they don't know Jesus. And so God calls us to love and serve and be patient with them. But with us inside, like Paul says, we are to be rigorously faithful in repenting of our own sin and holding each other, lovingly holding each other accountable. Now, is this a difference between love and grace and mercy for the outsiders and then law and stringency and rules for the insiders? No, here's what's going on. Jesus died. This whole thing is about the kingdom of God. In verse 60 and 62, Jesus makes that clear. You, you, uh, uh, let the dead bury the dead, but you come along with me and proclaim the kingdom of God. Hey, don't worry about your family. They are now next to me, second place. By the way, for, for, for five seconds to make a little apologetic point. For those who would say that Jesus doesn't actually claim to be God, this is, not the, this is not the sort of thing that any sane human being would ever say. It is I would never, if, if I ever said to any of you, hey, you guys need to abandon your family, abandon your husbands and your wives and your children, and come be a disciple of Aaron Miller, you would like fire me within minutes, rightfully so. Why? Because I'm a human being. Jesus can say that though because he's got the right to say that. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So um, the kingdom of God is what it's all about. And what is the kingdom of God about? It's about this. Jesus died on the cross to do the Galatians 5 thing. Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead in order to make us free, to liberate. Remember the, uh, we were reading Galatians 3 and 4 last week. The, the, the theme throughout Galatians 3, 4, and 5 is this, is that you were by nature slaves to these sorts of things. There's nothing that anybody could do for you outside of the power of the gospel. But now that you know Jesus, you've been freed. And this isn't about, well, Christians have this, you know, you're saved by grace, but you're sanctified by good works. That's not what it's about. What it is about for Paul and for Jesus is this. You were saved out of slavery by the loving grace of a crucified and risen Jesus. Now that you're in, don't go back there. Don't let yourself be a slave again. Don't let yourself be a slave to sexual sin. Don't let yourself be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't need to be a slave. You actually aren't a slave to any of these sins anymore. In fact, this is uh, one quick example, and then I'll be done. Um, it, it's, it's like this, and maybe I've said this before. So, so, so those who are outside of the kingdom, those who don't know Jesus, are inside a prison cell, and the door is locked, and they don't have any choice but to be the greedy and the swindlers and the sexually immoral. But, but Jesus, by the power of his death and resurrection, comes along and unlocks the prison cell door, and they are free. Free from slavery to fits of anger. Free from slavery to having to be right all the time. Free from slavery to sexual sin. They are free to follow Jesus. But now, what Jesus is wanting to do with his followers, what Paul is wanting to do in Galatians 5, is to say this. Don't go back in the prison cell. It's actually, the door's not even locked. Why is it that we go back in the prison cell and shut the unlocked door and stay inside this prison cell when we can leave at any time by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of the blood of Jesus? You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You have been set free 
to love and serve each other. You've been set free for the kingdom of God. So in quick summary, we as St. James Lutheran Church, just think about this in your own life. We can think about this as a community. How are we going to treat outsiders? We're going to treat them the way Paul talks about. We're going to treat them the way Jesus talks about, with patience and with love and with faithfulness. How are we going to treat Aaron Miller? Aaron Miller is going to be stringently careful with the fact that Aaron Miller is prone to kind of wanting to go back into that prison cell sometimes. And I need you guys to keep watch over me. Because sometimes I go back in the prison cell and I'm not even aware I did it. And that's where you guys come in. I need you to be extremely stringent in the way that you watch and guard me, Aaron Miller. And that's the way the gospel is going to work. Because it's freedom for both. God's calling the one group, the outsiders, to freedom. For those of us who have freedom, he's saying, don't abandon that freedom that I won for you on the cross and from the empty tomb. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and for being good to us. Thank you for rescuing us from slavery. Father, help us not to go back under that yoke again, but to, to take upon you your light and easy yoke. Father, for the people who are uh, outsiders here in this room, but outside as well in the community, will you rescue them, Father? Give us hearts that are loving and patient. Help us to be the adults in the room. Help us to be uh, faithful, to, be, uh, to, to take the abuse that we're given. In Jesus' name, to love. In Jesus' name, to not retaliate, to not fight back. Help us to be your people, Jesus, reflecting what you did for us on the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen. For his throne.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for being such a good God and such a loving God and for rescuing us, all of us in here, Father, that there have been times when you could have, um, you could have destroyed us with fire from heaven and been just and right in doing so. But you've been patient. I know you've been so patient with me and you have not given me what I justly deserved. Father, help me to live in that mercy. Help me to be willing to offer that same mercy and grace and patience that you've given me. Help me to let that flow through me to these my brothers and sisters and to the outsiders. But Father, help us to be holy. Help us to live lives that, that manifest the freedom that you won for us when your son Jesus died and rose from the dead for us. Help us not to be enslaved again to the old things. Father, help us to be kingdom people. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be kingdom people. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all those people who are struggling with uh, slavery, who are trapped in sinful behavior patterns. Maybe in greed or anger or lust. And they don't feel like they can get out of it. And maybe it's turned into hopelessness. Father, would you give them hope today that you have won for them freedom and that they do not need to be trapped in the prisons that they've chosen for themselves but that you Jesus have died to rescue us from those would you turn our hearts to you would you turn our hearts to love the one that you sent to make us free Lord in your mercy be with all those who are struggling with sickness Lord with physical sickness and pain 
and broken bodies. Be with all those who are struggling with broken and fractured relationships, who are worried about money, who are worried about uh, mental health issues, who are worried about job issues and school issues. Father, would you meet us where we're at and help us to find our deepest source of contentment in you and then all the rest of that stuff, Lord, our families and, and our habits and our jobs and our money and our friends. Will you take and do with that what you want to glorify yourself? We trust you. You've promised us that you're going to make all things new, either now or on the last day. And so we ask that you do it in your timing, that you give good health in your timing, now or on the last day that You heal relationships now. Heal them on the last day. That You heal our finances now or on the last day. Lord, we trust You for that. And we ask in the name of Your Son, Jesus, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, to make all these things new. Lord, in Your mercy. We can only pray these things because we are Your children. We are not Your slaves. We are Your sons and daughters. Welcome into Your throne room. Welcome into the, 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 Your most intimate spaces whenever we desire. And that You've rescued us for that. And so we come to you as children asking their dear Father, knowing that you are going to do what's right for us, that you're going to do what's right for Glenn Carbon, that you're going to do what's right for St. James Lutheran Church. We pray these in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen. Now let's confess our faith together with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to You, O Lord our God, King of all creation. For You've had mercy on us and given Your only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Grant us Your Spirit, gracious Father, that we may give heed to the testament of Your Son in true faith. And above all, firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives to us his body and blood for our forgiveness. By Your grace, lead us to remember and give thanks for the boundless love which He manifested to us when, by pouring out His precious blood, He saved us from Your righteous wrath and from sin, death, and hell. Grant that we may receive the bread and wine 
that is, His body and blood, as a gift, guarantee, and pledge of His salvation. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To You alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given to you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Forgiveness, perfect delight, 
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Bless the Lord. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around and find somebody you haven't talked to in a while and build that relationship. Go in peace.